Chronicles chapter 3. And we are going to finish chapter 3. I will go ahead and give you a heads up that beginning next week we will be possibly skipping some verses or even chapter. We'll try to recap it, but into the weightier subjects and, and kind of review some of the, the chapters that we may skip. I'll, I'll quickly review, but I, I wanted to, to read first three chapters in full because we see a really good foundation that Paul establishes in this letter to the church in Rome. This church, as we've, as we've discussed, is made up of all kinds of people, both Jews and Gentile. Both those who had Old Testament law maybe memorized or at least recited very well and those who didn't know Jesus from Adam. Hector, that is. Um, But what we want to do is, now I want to read the rest of chapter 3 starting in verse 21 and it's going to be possibly, I I mean, some of the most beautiful scripture you can read all in about 10 verses here. And what what you will see is Romans 3.23, some of you may have memorized This is a verse that a lot of people will use whenever they might try to, you know, preach the road through Romans in a few sentences to someone who is a non-believer and trying to share the gospel with them so that that person may receive Christ and and his salvation. And what we're going to do before we read is, I just want to ask a question. I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about this question. Who here was maybe raised by parents or you live in a way that if you borrow something, you were always told to or you practice now that you were going to return it in better shape than you received it? You know, you, you were going to make sure it was cleaner. You were going to make sure it was wiped down. And anybody like that, if you borrow something, uh, you're going to try your best to return it in better shape than you received it. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, to go along with that, because there's two types of people. Right? There's those that really don't care how they received it or how they return it. And then there's those that care really, really much about how they receive it, how they return it, how well it looks and how clean it is. Who here has ever remembered receiving a gift from someone and it was maybe the, the item itself or who, or who gifted it to you that whenever you received that gift, you made a, a vow, a co- covenant with that gift that you were never going to drop it, you were never going to break it, you were never going to scuff it. You know that pair of shoes that you received that you were dreaming of as a kid and mom and dad found those shoes and they bought you those shoes and you walked differently. Right, you, you walked with people with your arms out so people didn't scuff your shoes. Or maybe you can remember getting that bag or that golf club. And let's just be honest, it didn't really help any of our golf games. But but we knew that if I could get that club or if I get that fishing rod or if I get that handbag, it, I was going to do everything I could to protect that particular gift. And maybe it was the gift or who gifted it to you. Because there are some people that hold very sentimental value to certain gifts and they may store it in a box, set it in a safe, or even put it in the closet to where it will never be, you know, exposed to dust and never be, never be dropped. And it made me really think about this text that we're going to get into. And what we're going to do is I'm going to read the text and then I'm going to hand out a gift. I, Obs and I wrapped in with the help of Annie Mae because Annie Mae's got to do, you know, she's got to be a part of everything or she'll, she'll pout and if she doesn't. But she helped me wrap a gift. My, my two girls helped me this morning wrap this gift and I'm going to give it to one lucky person. The only condition is I have to have the gift back. All right. Uh, so don't feel like you're cool and getting a gift. You're just used as an illustration prop, uh, later on. So, uh, I'll need a volunteer or a volunteered person for that. So here we go to Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. Paul writes, But now, 
the righteousness of God, has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I will stop there and read that again. For there is no distinction. What Paul is saying with that phrase, setting up verse 23, is whether you are a Jew or you are a Gentile, whether you knew the Old Testament law by heart or whether you didn't even know who Jesus was until the Apostle Paul came, all have sinned. And the same is true in this church. If you were to look around, regardless of whether you were raised in church or not, you've all sinned. You and your neighbor, between the two, there is no distinction. You have sinned. You too have sinned. You too have sinned. We too have sinned. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now the beautiful message of the gospel is, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by, his, by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And that's where we're going to end today. I will say I really appreciate how Paul ends this particular section by stating, do we just get rid of the law of God? Do we just get rid of what he's instructed us to live as? And Paul says, no, by no means. We still uphold the law. And, and I mention that because you might hear some people say, well, with Jesus and grace and faith and grace and all of Jesus, I can just live however I want. I don't have to actually, you know, do anything but have faith in Jesus. And I would, I would argue that that is a very shallow understanding of who God is. To understand your salvation and understand the, the way of Christian life is just a means of, well, I believe in Jesus, therefore I can live however I want, is a very shallow and poor understanding of who Jesus is. And what I will say is you might hear some people say, and, and again, this hits very, very deep and very, very controversial if you go too far or on certain topics, say, well, the Old Testament is irrelevant. And you may hear that. And you, they may say, well, the Old Testament's done and it's dead and it's gone. And I would argue that those people just haven't read the Old Testament. You know, I would just say because the Old Testament is where Jesus found all of his teaching material. It's where Jesus referred to whenever he instructed people, hey, you've heard it that if you murder someone, but I say to take it even further, it's also the intent of your heart. Jesus said, you've heard it as if, you know, you've heard it said that if you commit adultery, but I say if you lust after someone in your heart. So Jesus wasn't abolishing the law. In fact, he came to what? Fulfill the law. So there wasn't anything that Jesus came to do to just say, hey, we're going to just forget all of these thousands of years and all of these prophets and all of these warnings because listen, 
There is good, solid doctrine in the Old Testament. And Jesus came and he preached upon it. And Paul reiterates that we uphold the law, not that we uphold all 800 rules and regulations all the time, but we do not reject the order of life, the way of life that God had established even after the garden throughout Jesus' ministry. And here we are 2,000 years later, still living by the commands of the Lord, still living by the word of the Lord. And then I want to just cover a word. But first, I want to know who wants the gift? Who wants the gift? You're going to come up front and you're going to stand in front of everyone here in just a moment. Kaylee wants it. Blaine wants it. I want you two to play rock, paper, scissors. Whoever wins gets the gift. Come here, you two. Come here, Blaine. Blaine was pointing at everybody else. So I, I always heard, you know, if you put one finger at someone else, there's four pointing back at you. So you're actually pointing at yourself and you didn't even know it. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to play rock, paper, scissors. You have your shoestrings tied together. I think we have an altar call now, and we go home. Right now. (laughs) All right, so you're going to go rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Ready? Face each other. Okay, best two out of three. Here we go. You can't just one hit wonder. Okay, one to one. All right, Kaylee won the gift. Yeah, there you go. Now you can take that back to your seat. You can open it at your seat. No, I want you to just hold it at your seat. Don't open it yet. And blame will be the winner of the second gift. But the word that I want to just discuss for a moment is the word propitiation. Propitiation. Who here is saying that is Latin to me. Just raise your hand if you never heard the word or maybe had it defined for you. Propitiation. I can remember my first semester of Bible college going into my public speaking class like the second week. You know, first week was, you know, kind of initiation and, you know, orientation and here we are, Bible college, you know, we're ready to change the world and preach the gospel all over the world. And my public speaking professor asked me, who was also a preacher, asked the entire class, all right, here's what we're going to do. You're all going to have 25 seconds to define for me what propitiation means. What? You know, I'm a freshman. That's a senior's word. You know, that, that's a word for a real preacher. I'm just a freshman in Bible college. But I can remember sitting there in, in, in class, you know, and we were, we had, the rule was you have no device out, you have no Bible to help you to find it, and he was going to call us up one by one. And what if we did that right now? What if we did for the next 10 minutes, you all just came up here and defined in 10 seconds what propitiation is? And I can remember sitting in Bible class thinking, I'm going to flunk out of here, and I'm going to go back to my old sinful ways. I'm going to, you know, no, I'm just kidding. But, but I can remember hearing this word thinking, boy, what in the world does that mean? And so whenever we think of the word propitiation, we read it in context, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So let's define that word, because whenever you define that word, there's going to be a reason why I gave a gift and why I have a second one I'm going to give out. And it's going to help you, and it's also going to teach you how you can view yourself as a Christian once you come to put your faith in Christ alone. Because I will tell you, you will put your faith in one of two people, you or Jesus. You or Jesus. 
and you're going to put your faith in you and think that you do not need Jesus to be the means of your salvation. And then you're going to find yourself standing before the Lord one day and think, well, I was a good dad and I was a good husband and I was a good wife and I was a good mom and I helped kids and I did this. And because of your lack of faith in Jesus, you're going to stand before the Lord one day with all of these good works that you may have done. And he's going to say, what? Depart from me, for I did not know you. Depart from me. I'm glad you did all these great things. I'm glad you were a good neighbor. I'm glad you took care of your neighbor's house when they were on vacation and you took their dog out and you cut their grass. And I'm glad you raised your kids. But unless we put our faith in Jesus, we will stand before him and he will tell us, depart from me for I did not know you. Or we can put our faith in Jesus and, and stand before the Lord one day. And I don't know about you, but I will probably be the one that's shaking just a little bit. You know, because I'm going to remember all the mess-ups I had. I'm going to remember just how pathetic I really was. And I'm going to stand before the Lord one day fully confident in being welcomed home into my eternal resting place to worship Him forever and ever. But I'm going to kind of shake a little bit because I'm going to remember just how unworthy I really was. This is where this word comes into play. This is where this word propitiation puts everything together and I can walk the rest of my life fully confident that I'm going to be welcomed home one day. And I'm going to be able to worship Him for the rest of my life, even though I know just how messed up I may be, just how broken I was once was, and I can worship Him. So the word propitiation is truly understood as, is clearly understood as, as a substitute or in the place of. In the place of. So you might hear preachers say, you might hear songs read as we just heard, that He bore our cross. You might hear preachers say that Jesus died in your place. You might hear preachers say that cross that Jesus carried for you and me. So what does it really mean? There's depth to it other than just dying on the cross. It wasn't that Jesus died in our place, meaning that in order to make it to heaven, we have to also be crucified on a cross. That is not what it means. It's also a very shallow understanding of our eternal salvation and the gift of eternal life in Christ. If we think that death in and of itself as breathing our last breath is the actual punishment for our sin. Because the wages of sin is what? Death. But the word propitiation literally means that as Jesus hung on the cross, he did it in our place. Not that we have to die on a cross, but as he bled, he bled to cover what? Our sin. If you were to go all the way back throughout the Old Testament, you will read that there were many sacrifices, and the Jewish people in this church that, G, that Paul is writing to understood that they stood right in the sight of God by two things their obedience to his law and their participation in sacrifice. So that they would slaughter animals and they would set the animals on fire. And whenever you read the Old Testament, you will read that the aroma of that act pleased the Lord. Of an animal burning and an animal slaughtered on an altar, you would read that that aroma, that sight, pleased the Lord. Because blood had to cover, blood had to atone for, cover sin. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, what did they do? They ate from the tree, God comes and finds them, and God casts them out. But what were they wearing? They were wearing animal skin. In order to put animal skin on his clothing, what had to happen? An animal had to be slaughtered. So in order for Jesus to actually carry our sin away, this is why John the Baptist said, behold the lamb 
of God who carries the sin or who came to take away the sins of the world. So when Jesus was the lamb, he was actually a, a, a piece of sacrifice so that whenever Jesus was hanging on a cross, bleeding out for the world to mock and humiliate him, it actually pleased our father. It pleased our Heavenly Father. So when Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is literally in that particular moment that the fullness of God's wrath is satisfied in the cross. On the cross. So when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was in that very moment that God had forsaken the Son. That the Father had forsaken the Son. And for just a little bit, Jesus on a cross understands and feels the fullness of God's wrath being poured out, not just in a death, not just in breathing his last breath, but truly being separated from the Father. So when Paul writes, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, he's not saying that because you were sinful, you're going to die, and that is the punishment. What he is saying is that you will die here on this earth, but you will be separated from the Father for all of eternity. And you will be painfully shaken, shaken, sorry, or shook for all of eternity because of the separation that comes. Because of the pain that you endure during that eternal destination and sentence. So whenever we say that Jesus was the propitiation, we have to understand it as this. If you and I put our faith in ourselves and think that we do not need to surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and surrender our hearts to Him as Savior, then you and I putting our faith in ourselves will stand before the Lord one day and then experience the fullness of God's wrath. Because God's wrath will be satisfied. And for the believer, the the wrath of God was satisfied on the cross of Christ. So when Jesus hung on the cross, those who, what did he say? How are we justified? By his grace as a gift through what? The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So if you want to be saved, you must believe and put your faith fully in Christ. If not, you will be sentenced to and be held responsible for the wages of your sin, which is eternal separation. But on the cross, Jesus, in our place, experiences wrath. He experiences separation. So that those of us who are sinful, broken human beings that follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we will never be separated from him. Whenever we later read that there is neither height nor depth nor life nor death, nothing of this world that could separate us from what? The love of God. Nothing. Because why? Jesus was already separated in our place. He was the propitiation. Therefore, I will be fully confident. No matter how bad I'm shaking one day, whenever I stand before him and I got my, you know, my one eye closed because I just know it's coming or I probably deserve it. I'll be shaking there one day and, and, you know, I'll have my squeaky voice. Yeah, yes, Lord. Uh, My squeaky voice one day because I will be in all of his presence because I am fully undeserving of his grace and his mercy and his salvation. But because of Christ, I can be fully confident at the same time. So I can worship him fully now, even though as broken as I once was, and even though as bad as I may be at times, because in my place, Jesus died, not just physically, but he was separated spiritually, and now I live eternally. So he was the propitiation. For who? He was the propitiation 
for all who put their faith in him. Paul says that through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, that is given righteousness. So the Jewish people thought they were counted right because of their obedience to the law and by their participation in sacrifice. Well, Jesus was the one final and sufficient sacrifice. So 2,000 years later, we are still worshiping the one sacrifice on the one cross of Jesus. That we do not have to weekly or monthly or yearly participate in a physical sacrifice of slaughtering animal. But in him, the Gentiles had many ways to consider themselves right because they worshiped many idols and they had many gods or goddesses that they considered to be their way of, of joy or peace or happiness. So Paul is trying to mesh it all together and he's telling you there is no distinction. All have sinned, all have fallen short, but are all brought to righteousness by one name, Jesus Christ. Kaylee, go ahead and open that gift. Blaine, come here. I hope you got shoes tied, right? Hmm? Hmm? Come here, Blaine. I want you to wear this. It is a little chilly out. How does it feel? Go ahead, open it up. It's a surprise. Go ahead, try it on. Now for sixty-five dollars I'll give it to you. (laughs) I will. Come on, come here, come here. So I want to use these two brave souls as an illustration to what this text is saying for you and for me. See this gift that was wrapped and beautifully presented by me and my daughters is a picture of the righteousness of Christ. You might hear the term imputed righteousness, which is a term that truly defines the righteousness that God gives to us as people, but it is rooted in Jesus. So Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he made him who knew no sin on our behalf become sin so that in him we could become the righteousness of of God. So Blaine represents, I hate to do this to you, Blaine. I didn't mean to. Blaine represents all of us sinful people. Kaylee in this jacket that was a gift represents the righteousness of God and the holiness of who Jesus was and the gift of eternal life. Now here's what I wanted. And and the reason I had you all do this is because I wanted to do a visual. Here's what you're going to do. So Kaylee, you're going to represent for just the time being Jesus. Okay, so stretch your arms out. Don't let them down. We have three days, or six hours, sorry. (laughs) But Blaine represents in the Columbia jacket all of you and me. Because all of us carry something. All of us have pasts. All of us are broken at times of our lives. All of us are sinful. And this Columbia jacket represents the sinfulness of you and me. Who here understands the words of the Apostle Paul when he said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
We've all fallen short. This is what we wear. So if we put our faith in us, then we're going to stand before the Lord one day. And what's God going to see on us? All of my brokenness, all of my habits, all of our addiction, all of our idolatry, all of our adultery, all of our greed, all of this. And he's going to see nothing but that. But the beautiful gift of the Lord is that on the cross, when the word propitiation comes up, we understand it in a visual way like this. On the cross, because of our faith in Jesus and our confession of him as Lord and Savior and our surrender to him as the only way, this is what happened on the cross of Calvary. Trade jackets. And this is why I get excited to preach sometimes. This is why I had to get rid of the stool this week, because I was born myself preaching sitting on a stool. I can only help you all a little bit differently this week. This, just spread your arms out again. Five and a half hours. This is what happened on the cross. So Blaine will now stand before the Lord one day, just as you and I will, because of his faith in Jesus. His dirty, broken self is now nailed to what? The cross. And in place of his broken self being all that God sees, what does the Lord see now? The righteousness of self. By faith in Christ we are saved, but by faith in Christ we are also righteous. Only by faith in Christ. So this is what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago for those who believe in Christ. Those who follow Jesus Christ as Lord. Your sinfulness, your brokenness, your pain and heartache was traded for the righteousness of God and Christ. Blaine, put your hood up. I did a rain jacket because it's weatherproof, stormproof. Meaning you can endure all seasons now in the righteousness of Christ. That is you and me. All who believe in Jesus. Now we will stand before the Lord one day confident that he's not going to see me and my brokenness anymore. But he's going to see a reflection of himself. Because my faith in Christ and the work and the redemption of the cross of Jesus means that those who follow him and believe in him, what we did is we actually traded jackets. She only got five and a half hours. (laughs) This is what it took place 2,000 years ago for those of us who believe. That we can now worship confidently that my jacket's been switched My sinfulness was carried on a cross, nailed to it, buried on the third day, and the righteousness of the Lord that I am not worthy of of carrying myself has been offered to me as a what? Gift by His grace. So you're here today to worship the Lord because of His gift. You're here today to worship the Lord freely And confidently, not because of how good this jacket once was, because this jacket represents all of our sinfulness, all of our brokenness, all of the things that we do privately that we don't want to be announced publicly. All of that was nailed to a cross. And this is what we carry. This is what we wear now. This is why I worship. This is why I preach to my children at 9 o'clock at night before bed. This is why I want to preach every single Sunday. This is why I want no one, uh, I want nothing else but for all of my family and friends to know Jesus because they too can experience this. 
And you who you here who believe in Christ have experienced this. That you're going to be able to stand before him one day. Why? And be confident. Why? Not because of how good you were. Because if we were to be honest, we're all pretty pathetic in our own ways. We're all pretty weak in our own ways. We're all inadequate in our own ways. We all fall short, as Paul writes, in our own ways. And we all have sinned in our own ways. But because of his grace, he was off. Don't let your arms get tired. She hasn't been coming to the gym as much, has she, Brian? Dallas? But because of his grace, what Jesus did is he offers his jacket to me, to you. He offers his jacket. And here's what he says. Let me take that. Let me, let me take that one. I died for that one too. Maybe you're here today and you think, I don't know how God would ever love me. I don't know how he would ever save me. (laughs) I'm almost done. But here's the thing. He traded full jackets. See, this hood, oh man, it doesn't come off. These sleeves, it's all one piece. So he didn't just give you some of his grace. You didn't just give him some of your brokenness when you called upon his name. You completely switched jackets. So now I don't have to worry like, oh my goodness, I, I, I didn't give him my other sleeve and he didn't give me his other sleeve and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for this. No, no, no. He saved you. He saved those who follow, worship and serve him. So you can have a weatherproof jacket at all times, in all seasons, and then wear it in all days. Because one day, whenever you stand before him, one day when Blaine stands before him, the Lord's not going to see Blaine's dirty jacket and filthy rags. He's going to see a reflection of himself. And it's going to be the righteousness of him that the Lord sees. And it's because of him, not Blaine. It's because of him, not me, that I'll be welcomed home, that he'll be welcomed home. Because of his gift. Let's thank these guys for their work today. You can put your arms back. Amen. That's why I had the young folks do it. I didn't want to pop any shoulders out. You can keep the jackets for $65. You guys can be seated. Thank you. Now I would like to pray with you all. And here's what I want you to know. That if you're here today... And you have put your faith and trust in him. You, you know, you've been through the steps of, well, I believed and I surrendered and I was baptized and I confessed. And here I am 12 years later, three weeks later or 55 years later and feeling like there's times where you are inadequate. I'll just be honest with you and tell you it's because it's true. It's because we are. It's because we are weak at times. It's because we do fall short. It's because we have sinned. It's because we are broken. But I want you to rest assured and be completely confident in this. That we are justified, how? By His grace as a gift. 
through the redemption in Christ Jesus. There is no distinction, regardless of your background, regardless of how churched you were as a kid or how unchurched you were as a kid, regardless of how broken you were, regardless of how big your past resume looks, regardless of all of that. This is why we sing this next song titled, How Great Is Our God? Because on that cross 2,000 years ago, only God could take two jackets, one broken, one perfect, one sinful, one holy, and trade places with. Only our God could do that. Only our God could look at you and know exactly what you've done and be just and the justifier for you and not break his holy integrity as a judge. This is why John writes in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He is faithful because he's going to forgive me because he promised me he would. But he's also just because on that cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago that Jesus was nailed to, the fullness of his wrath was satisfied. So I can be confident that he is faithful and just to forgive us. And John went on to write this, of all our unrighteousness, all of it, not just my left sleeve, my right sleeve or my hood, but the entire jacket's traded spots. And now we get to worship the Lord. We get to serve the Lord. We get to live the rest of our lives wearing as a jacket the imputed righteousness of Christ and the blood that he shed for us satisfied and pleased our Father in heaven so that we wouldn't have to. So that our death wouldn't be the satisfaction but the death of Christ. So today may we worship him. May we pray to him and thank him. And here's what I want us to do as we worship one last time and as we pray and as we leave. If you're here and a follower of Jesus, you should be thankful for that gift. If you're not, I want you to know that only through Christ can you trade jackets. Only through Christ. You can't work your way there. You can't give your way there. You can't do things good enough for so many days consecutively your way there but by faith in Christ alone. Let us pray.